Mr. and Mrs. Pig, Mr. and Mrs. Goat, Lion, etc. Now Adam has his own missus. And he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam also understands he has a responsibility to do Eve because she's been taken from his side. And God has given Adam a great subject lesson here. He's allowed Adam to name all of the animals, male and female. But at that time, Adam had no spouse. He had no mate for himself. And so God takes a rib from Adam and he makes Eve. Eve is from Adam, and Adam is to take care of Eve. And then we read about leaving and cleaving. A, a good word for our young people, ladies, if you cannot respect the man you're dating and cleave to that man that you're dating, even consider him as a husband, break it off. Young men, realize that your future wife is your responsibility, whether you like it or not. And if she will not listen to you and respect you when you're dating her, break it off. For, for the word tells us a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh. Now that command is relevant because it's repeated four times in the New Testament, to leave and to cleave. This command also applies to wives, not just to husbands. And when a couple, when a young couple get married, you have two lives, two separate lives that are trying to blend, trying to come together, and you've got two wills. Sometimes there's a strong will there and a weaker will, but you have two wills. You have two uh, different lives, two behavior habits that are coming together, trying to blend to become one. And there's certain rules or thoughts that should never enter your mind. It should never enter into your heart, if I don't like this arrangement, I can go home to mother. That should never be a thought. Lori and I made an agreement that we would never even jokingly talk about divorce in our marriage. That's not a subject for even uh, a lighter moment. We never talk about divorce. And the thought of leaving my mate should never be a consideration. To leave and cleave, you don't have to move away from mom and dad. To leave and cleave is more of a commitment to one another than it is of changing locations. Your wife might say to you men, he doesn't understand me. Tell her, yeah, baby, but I'm here. I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. And the men, we might say, well, she doesn't cook like mom. Or maybe she doesn't fold my underwear like mother did. Fold it yourself. Preach it, 
<laughs> I thought that might find good ears. But anyway, verse 25 of chapter 2, we have Adam and Eve, and they're both naked, and they're not ashamed. And apart from the physical connotation that this has, we understand that we should be open and transparent with our spouse. We should no longer be guarded about what we share and our feelings that we have, and we should never ever have a fear of rejection. Now some men will take this being myself just a little too far, and I guess women can too. And sweet little Lori will once in a while do something that's not so pleasant and I will call her attention to it. She will simply say, I learned it from you. <laughs> Point being, we are to be open with one another. We are to be respectful and yes, polite with one another, especially our mates. So let's read Genesis chapter three, verses one through six. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, tree, of, of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. First off, let's deal with the serpent. Most of us have seen these uh, juvenile type books with a picture of Eve standing by an apple tree talking to a snake. Now that's not a very mature image, by the way. Not a real adult image or encounter of Eve being tempted by Satan. Ezekiel 28 tells us that Satan was in Eden and Satan has a position of high prominence. We also have references in scripture, scripture that depict Satan as a serpent or a snake. Revelation 12, 9 and 22 refer to the devil being the dragon, that serpent of old. So there is this connotation. Now, we are not told what the serpent looked like before the curse of God came upon him. Some say perhaps the snake would coil up like a hula hoop and roll wherever he wanted to go. Okay. Some say perhaps he had wings and he could fly and hover. Now there's a bad thought, a flying snake. <laughs> but all of that is speculation. We do know the features that the snake took upon itself after the curse. The eating of dust, a slithering upon his belly. 
The snake happens to be the most feared and hated of all the creatures in the animal kingdom. I join in with those haters. I hate snakes. <laughs> uh, there are no good snakes. They're all cobras, as far as I'm concerned. And the only good snake is a dead snake. Therefore, the features of the serpent before the curse is pure speculation on our part. Now, it appears that Satan, demons, and angels have the ability to possess animals and or people on special occasions. But that is all done, especially with people, with God's permission. There are many people who fear demons, fear demon possession, that it's just going to sneak up on you sometime and overwhelm you, and you don't have any resistance against it. That is an unreasonable fear. Think with me for a moment. God totally respects our free will. How does a person come to Christ? in and of their own free will. They invite Jesus into their life. He comes into the life. The Holy Spirit via Jesus then possesses that life. The same thing with Satan. If you want Satan in your life, invite him in. But that's the only way he can come in is a personal invitation. The free will that God gives man runs both ways. It runs upstream and it runs downstream. And God forces Satan to respect our free will in the same way that he respects our free will. But Eve, anyway, she makes a very poor decision here in this temptation. And her decision to engage Satan in a conversation is unwise, to say the least. Because, you see, Satan is more cunning, more deceptive than any human being. Regardless how smart you may think you are, how intelligent a person may feel that they have come to, Satan is wiser and smarter than we are. Satan has chose to come against Eve because he knows she is more vulnerable to his attack than Adam. For God's direct command was to Adam. It was not to Eve. Adam apparently has not effectively instructed or taught Eve God's commands or God's word. We see Eve misquoting God right off the bat. She misquotes God in her conversation with Satan. Also, if Adam would have sinned first, Eve could have simply said, hey, I simply followed the man that you gave me, God, the one that you put over me. And so Satan comes against Eve. Back to the conversation. Satan says, has God indeed said? Satan is very adept 
in causing God's word to appear restrictive and unreasonable. We run into that all the time. You and I in the workplace with our friends or whoever. Do you really believe the Bible? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Why don't you is what I usually say. But anyway, Satan speaks to Eve and he speaks to her audibly. If Satan were to audibly speak to you or I, we would have red flags go up all over the place. You know, whoa, who's that talking to me? But Satan and his host are more cunning. And so they put thought patterns into our mind and into our heads. And some of those thought patterns are straight from the pit. The origins of some of our thoughts, we don't always recognize where they come from. So we should learn from Eve. Do not engage or reason with Satan. To engage Satan in a conversation is to fall to his temptation. We only have three occasions in scripture where Satan speaks. We have it here where he speaks to Eve. We have it in the book of Job where he's, we hear Satan talking to God. And then we have Satan tempting Jesus in the 40 days and 40 nights. The only words that we should ever speak to Satan are found in the little book of Jude, where Jude tells us, the Lord rebuke you. That is all we should ever say to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Not I'm coming against you or quote anything else, just say the Lord rebukes you. But Eve, in speaking with Satan, first thing she does is she refers to the tree of knowledge simply as the tree in the midst of the garden. The inference there is that it's just one more tree. And then Eve misquotes God. God has said, you shall not eat of it. And she's right there. And then she adds, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Uh-oh. With that statement, we have the doctoring of man entering into this world. The do not touch it is strictly of Eve. It is a man-made rule. Like many of us, Eve has overstated God's command. Parents, we do that oftentimes. My mom did it constantly. Son, get down from there or you're going to fall and break your neck. How about an arm, mom? Just an arm maybe, not the neck? We overstate the case as parents. Eve misquotes God and this reveals to Satan that she really does not know God's word. Or even worse, 
Maybe Eve feels that she can add to God's word. Either way, Satan now has Eve on the run. God's word is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, not Eve's commentary on God's word, and for that fact, not your commentary or mine upon God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. There is absolutely no power or authority in our commentation of God's word. Quote God's word, not what you think or feel it should mean. God's word is yea and amen. It's always true. Our words are perhaps and maybe at best. It's interesting though, Jewish legend, and let me emphasize that Jewish legend has it that when Eve said we can't touch the tree of knowledge, Jewish legend says Satan pushed her into the tree and she touched the tree and she realized, hey, I did not die. Perhaps eating of the tree will be okay also. Now that is purely legend, okay? But obviously Satan and Eve are now in the midst of the garden. Eve see that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree is desirable. Let me read you a verse in John, 1 John 2.16. It's an all-inclusive statement by John. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God, but of the world. In verse 6 of chapter 3 there in Genesis, Eve discovers that the forbidden tree is good for food. It's enticing to the flesh, and it's cleverly hidden, this enticement is, in her need for food. It's pleasant to the eyes. For me, that would mean it's a peach tree, by the way, not an apple tree. I love peaches. But now the sinister point here, the sinister pride of life temptation, it's desirable to make you wise, Eve. Most of humanity seeks to separate ourselves from one another by being wise in our own estimation. The prophet Isaiah spoke of this, Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. The want and pursuit of wisdom for the wrong reasons is folly. It's sin. Wisdom that is not of God, but of is this world, is sinful. Eve desires to take the shortcut 
for wisdom. Eat of the tree of knowledge and instantly know good from evil. And thus Eve eats. Not content, she finds Adam and gives him some of the fruit and Adam eats. Adam eats even though he knows it's wrong for Adam is not deceived. Adam knew. In 1 Timothy 2.14 it tells us Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived and she fell into transgression. Adam chose transgression. Consider how Adam is not deceived. Adam willfully chooses to follow his wife in transgression. Those who want to put a romantic twist on this, on Adam's decision to sin, say, hey, Adam loved Eve so much, he can't bear the thought of being separated from her. Buck up, Adam. <laughs> That's all I can say. Doesn't that sound a lot like young couples that are living in the sin of fornication, but we love each other, so? <laughs> Does that make it all right? No. Their thought is, it's okay to sin as long as my intentions are good. And God has never said that. I have heard parents tell their children, just tell mommy or daddy the truth and I won't punish you. <laughs> the truth is, mommy and daddy, that your child just disobeyed you. Back when I was an usher, I was a good usher, at Modesto and Calvary Chapel, we had two young boys climb up on the roof of the church. They were being crazy, all right. One of the other ushers asked the boys, were you climbing on the roof? Tell me, I won't tell your parents. I go, whoa, stop, I will. <laughs> I'm gonna tell them, first thing I'm gonna do is find your parents and tell them what you've been doing. That's the difference. That's the difference. I had to speak up. Admitting or coming clean on a sin does not excuse the sin. And so many times we try to make it that way. Adam deliberately chose Eve over God. And we know that Adam was not deceived. A willful choice. Adam, with understanding, eyes wide open, chose to sin. And because of this deliberate sin by Adam, all of the fall of mankind is laid at his feet. It's you, Adam. You were not deceived. You sinned. We don't hear about Eve causing the fall of man. We read Adam caused the fall of man. And we must understand 
and here's where the rubber hits the road, we as human beings, the descendants of Adam, we have all deliberately sinned. Thus we need a savior because we have chosen transgression. Adam, perfect man, perfect environment, Adam needed a savior. And our Lord Jesus is that savior. So here's the question. Have you trusted in Jesus as your savior? That's the greatest question any man will ever face in this world. Have you trusted in Jesus as your savior, your propitiation for your sins? That sacrifice in your place. If you haven't, then see me or see one of the elders here and we will be happy to pray with you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior because you are a sinner without Jesus and it's that simple. I'll stop there. We don't have to wait for Harvest America to come to know Jesus. We can come to know him here this morning. So let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you had a way of salvation prepared before Adam's sin. You didn't wait for Adam to sin, then work out a way to save us, Lord, and I thank you for that. You knew Adam would sin, and you already had your plan of salvation in works. It was already predetermined how you would save us. We thank you for that wonderful plan of salvation. Lord, we would pray that many would come to know you through your great sacrifice through your intervening on our behalf to take our sins upon yourself, to suffer and die, and then, of course, to rise again. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray for Harvest America and the crusade coming up, but we also pray for today, for today is the day of salvation. Move on hearts, move on lives by your spirit, Lord. Those that need you, show them how much they need you. Those that are walking in your love and in your grace, comfort them. We thank you so much for your wonderful plan of salvation. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.